Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hello, and welcome to the Rathman Review. I'm Gideon Rathman, Chief Foreign Affairs Commentator of the Financial Times. This week, we're looking at the French presidential election. The first round of voting takes place on April the 10th. That'll cut the current field of 12 candidates down to two, who are widely expected to be President Emmanuel Macron and Marine Le Pen, the leader of the far-right Rassemblement National. To discuss the election, I'm joined this week by Anne-Sylvaine Chassigny, the FT's world news editor and a former Paris bureau chief, and Bruno Cotrez, a political scientist at Sciences Po in Paris. In the most recent polls for the second and decisive round of voting, Marine Le Pen has closed to within just a couple of points of President Macron. So, could a far-right candidate really win the presidency of France? In his first big election rally, President Macron issued a stark warning to his supporters. Look at what happened with Brexit and so many other elections. What looked improbable actually happened. So I am telling you very strongly tonight, nothing is impossible. Macron has spent much of this year consumed by diplomacy over the war in Ukraine. But opinion polls show that Ukraine's only the second biggest concern of French voters. By far the biggest issue is the cost of living, which is rising, partly because of higher energy prices. It was anger about rising petrol prices that partly provoked many months of protests and riots led by the so-called Yellow Vests in 2018-2019. Macron's opponents have always portrayed him as a president for the rich. In a recent interview, Marine Le Pen argued that the key task of the French state is to protect the weak and vulnerable. And that's why she claimed to differ from Macron. Il faut à tout prix sauver l'État. Et je veux dire pourquoi? Parce que l'État, c'est ce qui protège les plus modestes. C'est ce qui protège les plus faibles. The current Le Pen surge in the polls suggests that this kind of rhetoric is cutting through. But of course, the first round of voting hasn't even taken place yet. So I began my discussion with Anne-Sylvain Chassigny and Bruno Cotrez by asking Bruno whether it's safe to assume that this election will come down to a contest between Macron and Le Pen. One of the most important things of that uh, electoral campaign has been the very, very tough competition inside the far right between Marine Le Pen and Eric Zemmour. But now we can really say that it would be a huge, huge, huge surprise that it won't be Macron, Marine Le Pen. The only thing we just don't know exactly is going to be the lead between the two. Macron is clearly leading, but it is certainly still because of the rally around the flag effect. Macron is estimated about 28, 29, but eventually it could be a bit lower. Marine Le Pen, she's 20, 21. Eventually she could be a little bit over. But yes, it's very likely that it's going to be the same second round. And Anne-Sylvain, 
Then obviously attention focuses on the final decisive round. And there the opinion polls are much more surprising and in some ways I'm sure very alarming for the uh, French establishment. In that one poll I saw put Macron at 53, Le Pen at 47, which is way higher than she got last time. Indeed. So same scenario, Macron versus Le Pen, but with a much narrower gap between the two, which, to be honest, is a big setback for Macron after five years of presidency because he really campaigned last time as the bulwark against the far right. And we already know that it's failed to some extent. And what is even more worrying is that the polls are now putting them within the margin of error. So this has caused a lot of alarm among the campaign of Emmanuel Macron. Bruno, what is the mood amongst the Macron campaign? Because really, until those polls came out, what, about, you know, a week ago, sort of mid-February, the assumption was Macron was going to win. Are they now beginning to fear that France could be in for a big political shock? Yes, they start to have some fears, indeed. And it's difficult to know if they have real fears or actually if they want to mobilize their grassroots and their electorate by saying that there is a danger. But it's true that if Macron win the election, it's not going to be the same victory as the last time. And so they are not exactly panicking. It would be exaggerating to say so, but they have some fears and they start to get worried. And and so then, I mean, do you think there's already a sense that Macron may have misplayed this election campaign because he's barely campaigned in the first round. He's been very preoccupied in international diplomacy. Yes, he didn't campaign until very recently, finding all sorts of excuses uh, not to campaign. And Ukraine really provided him with the perfect excuse because he was able to show the French electorate that he was tackling far more important subject than the question of immigration or Islam. He was tackling war and peace in Europe and going to Moscow to meet uh, President Putin and try to broker some sort of uh, peace or ceasefire between Russia and Ukraine. I think he and his supporters and his campaigns have realized it's no longer possible to do that for him. He really needed to galvanize his base, as Bruno says, because of the narrowing polls. And so we've seen him now a bit more on the ground, doing rallies and engaging with voters, trying to defend his record. He did this very big rally over the weekend where he actually, you know, tried to galvanize his base by raising the specter of not winning. So, yes, I think they've realized that they needed to press ahead a bit. And Bruno, I mean, Ansel Ben mentions this uh, focus on Ukraine, understandable in its way. Do you think, however, that that hasn't really worked for Macron, that his efforts to project himself as this statesman protecting peace in Europe for whatever reason, perhaps because it wasn't that successful so far, have not bolstered his image? I think that it has worked in the beginning because of this typical reaction of public opinion, which is supporting the executive when there is a major international crisis. But I think that the effect of that start to evaporate because the sooner the election, the more the voters think about what would be a second mandate of Macron with plenty of question marks. Macron did not clarify really what he wants to do for a second mandate. In the beginning 
of Macron campaign. He was saying that he wants to continue the pension reforms, pushing the age of pension to the age of 65, uh, making some social benefits conditionally to working a little bit. And so he gave some signs to the centre-right in the beginnings. And since recently, he wants to correct by giving signs to the centre-left, but many centre-left voters have a big question mark regarding Macron. Is it's, it's the question of sincerity of the left engagement of Emmanuel Macron. And also Macron overclaimed that he would change the method of governing, that he's not going to make it the same way, that he's going to make more participative democracy. But many voters have a big question mark regarding that because he did organize a big national debates after the Yellow Vest. He also organized a citizen convention about climate change, but we have not seen anything coming out from these two innovations anyway. And, and Anne Sylvain, do you think also he was always going to have a hard time because last time he was a new force. I think his book was even called Revolution. And he could plausibly claim he wasn't from the right or the left. He was this uh, new guy everybody could get behind. But he is now the establishment. And France, as long as I can remember, has been in quite a sort of, as the British would say, grumpy, angry, anti-establishment mood. So he's the target now, isn't he? Yes, and one might argue that he was always the establishment. And actually, the French have realized he was the establishment from the beginning. They were giving him the benefit of the doubt in the beginning because actually he portrayed himself as this political novice wanted to reinvent politics. He wanted to tear down the barriers to new entrants. He wanted to be the voice of the new entrants, you know, in the markets, like startup nations, tearing down the political parties, viewed as ossified and old and torn by their inner contradictions on all sorts of subjects. But um, now, five years later, he doesn't have the effect of novelty anymore. He's shown in many ways that he was the pure product of the French establishment. His way of governing has been really top-down and not this grassroots spirit he had in the beginning of his campaign in 2017, where he had all these guys, if you remember, these youngsters with colorful t-shirts knocking on doors and gathering the wishes of the French people. And then, you know, all these wishes were becoming new ideas, supposedly, etc., etc., and being a part of his program. After five years, we've seen how he governs. He governs in a very tight way at the Elysee with a very close circle of highly trained technocrat. You know, he is himself a highly trained technocrat. And so he's managed to antagonize and disappoint a big part of the electorate. And I think Bruno pointed out that is mainly the center left because they also thought that he was this liberal guy and he is in many ways, but he's also had to shift to the center right because this is where the bulk of the electorate is, and this is where the fight is. So yes, it's going to be trickier for him to give a sense of hope. The hope is no longer there. And Bruno, I mean, turning to the opposition, are you surprised by how resilient and effective Marine Le Pen has been? I mean, after the last election, you know, many people were writing her off, that she'd had a terrible campaign, that the future was her niece. Marianne Maréchal Le Pen, or it would be Eric Zemmour, that the French electorate had sort of definitively rejected her. And yet here she is, and with a very good chance. It's true that she has shown 
an amazing resilience. And as you say, the five years ago, when she lost the debate with Macron between the two rounds, her situation looked absolutely desperate, like if she has lost the chance. And inside the party, it was very tough in the beginnings for her. And more impressive is her capacity to resist in the context of competition with Zemmour. I've been always having some doubt about the dynamics of Zemmour because we could see clearly what was going to save Marine Le Pen. What has saved Marine Le Pen, it is first her sociological background, the core electorate of Marine Le Pen. It is still lower level middle class, poor workers, employees with a short-term contract, people in uh, difficult social situations. And uh, since few years, it is really the sociological backgrounds of the Marine Le Pen electorate. So I think that the loyalty of the working class to Marine Le Pen and the poor workers and the young poor workers particularly has saved Marine Le Pen. On the top of that, you can add some very significant errors and very big mistakes that Eric Zemmour has done during the campaign, particularly in the context of the Ukraine war, when Eric Zemmour did that amazing statement that we should not welcome refugees from the Ukraine, that they should stay in Poland. And so uh, Eric Zemmour gave the feeling that he was someone with no humanity. And at that stage, Marine Le Pen took the lead and the support of the lower classes has been obviously extremely important for her. And um, and Sylvain, do you think that Le Pen has also been helped in a way by the appearance of a candidate in the shape of Eric Zemmour who talks about deporting a million people from France and so on, and that her whole project has been over the last five, ten years to convince voters that she's not a crazy extremist. And so she's now sort of in a way being positioned further to the centre without necessarily having to move. It's true that Zemmour has allowed her to give more credit to her strategy to detoxify her party, her party founded by her quite toxic father, Jean-Marie Le Pen. I mean, Zemmour, because he was so radical in his positions on migrants, on gender equality as well, on all sorts of subjects, he was far more radical and, frankly, racist and sexist and not really shying away from those words. And that has made her look like a moderate to some extent. She has instead focused on costs of living. As Bruno said, you know, the working class. She did a brilliant move with the Ukraine, politically brilliant move, by having some of her senior party members going to Poland with a bus and trying, you know, get some of the Ukrainian migrants back to the south of France. In the south of France, in Perpignan, where you have a strong far-right base and showing generosity. It was quite a U-turn, but also a brilliant move in the campaign, as Bruno mentioned, compared with Zemmour, a complete lack of generosity and solidarity for the Ukrainian people. But Bruno, I mean, obviously, we're talking in a way about image, about repositioning, detoxification. But what is the actual reality? I mean, would you still describe uh, Le Pen and her party, as they have routinely been described for many years, as far right? And what does that actually mean? Yes, just has been published by a French think tank, a very interesting study, which is looking carefully 
to the program of Marine Le Pen and her positioning on different issues. And it is clearly still uh, the same old programs with a national preference, with a lot of things about immigration, national identity, uh, Islam. What is very interesting is that the program of Marine Le Pen hasn't changed, but it is the image of Marine Le Pen that has changed. And it's what Eric Zemmour has done. Eric Zemmour has played like if it would be like a sponge coming on Marine Le Pen and absorbing the radicality of Marine Le Pen in the image. The big question is to know if that is going to work in the second round, like it works at the moment and particularly for the first round. So it could be that in the second round, Emmanuel Macron is going to mobilize again about anti-Marine Le Pen, and he's starting to do it, which is to recall the last declarations of Emmanuel Macron when he's campaigning, was to re-explain the French who is Marine Le Pen and what is the Rassemblement National, that it is extremist person, that if she had won the previous election, there would be no vaccination, there would be no economic plans at the European level, it will be the government of fake news, and this kind of thing, you can clearly see that Emmanuel Macron is trying to create the anti-Marine Le Pen front. But clearly, yes, Emmanuel Macron is really trying to get back to this fundamental, which is the opposition between the extremist, conservative, negative person versus Emmanuel Macron, the camp of the optimism, the camp of looking ahead and not looking in the back, and these kind of things. Yeah. I mean, Anne Sylvain, listening to Bruno, it sounds like, you know, we often talk about elections as a popularity contest. It sounds like he's describing an unpopularity contest. You know, who scares the French more? Macron, who, you know, many people detest, or Le Pen, who many people are terrified of. It's not like a very positive, hopeful campaign. Yeah, it's a big difference from last time because Macron somehow had brought a little bit of positivity in the campaign in many ways. And he's no longer doing that by definition because he's been in power, he's an incumbent and he's made mistakes. He's antagonized a bunch of people and there's an anti-Macron front. There's a deep dislike of him. I don't know if I can say hatred of him, uh, Bruno you probably more knowledgeable about the tone here through the polls. But a lot of the people, especially on the left, who voted for him on the second round in 2017, the Mélenchon voters, for example, there's a big question mark on whether they are going to show up in the second round. I was looking at Pécresse's voters. There's a big question mark on Pécresse's voters for the second round. Like something like 47% polled in some of the polls are saying they're not sure who to vote for in the second round. We're talking about voters of Les Républicains candidates, Valérie Pécresse. And on top of that, there's a huge abstention predicted, something around 30%. Uh, so there's a lot of uncertainty in the second round still. Yeah. I mean, Bruno, before we get on to what either candidate would mean if and when they became uh, president, I'd just like your view on this extraordinary apparent collapse of the traditional French parties. Uh, it used to be that, you know, the socialists were a huge force, the party of Mitterrand and Hollande and so on. And there was always a centre-right party, Gaullists and so on. But both the socialists and the centre-right, the, now the, the Republican uh, led by Pécresse, are doing terribly. What's going on? These two parties that, as you said, dominated French politics 
for many decades are actually in a structural weakness. It's not only that campaign, it started with Macron election five years ago and probably started a bit before. Actually, if you take the Republicans, some people say that Valérie Pécresse, she's not campaigning very well, that she did a big fail in the first meeting that she did, that was quite a big meeting with a lot of expectation and she did a big fail. But I don't think it's the question of the candidate performance. I really think it's much more structural and in a certain way, much more difficult for the Republicans because on their cultural politics issues, identity, immigration, blah, 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 they are actually squeezed by Rassemblement National and Eric Zemmour. And on the economy side, less tax, less public expenditures, less public deficits on that side, they are also squeezed by Emmanuel Macron. Is clearly perceived by the French as a centre-right president and he attracted many centre-right voters. The situation is probably more dramatic for the centre-left because it's likely that there will be a supreme humiliation for the socialist candidate. Not only the socialist candidate is going to get a very, very small score, but she could be actually below the far left, not only below the communists, but eventually below some of the far left candidates. So for the socialist party, it's the crossroad. They need to do something after the election and probably to decide where is their destiny. Is it to become the left side of Emmanuel Macron? Or is it to create a new union of the left dynamics? The problem for them is that it is like if they were back to the beginnings of the 1960s, when the union of the left was actually with the leadership of the communists, and now today it's the, with the leadership of La France Insoumise of Jean-Luc Mélenchon. So extremely difficult situation for the centre-left and for the centre-right. Okay, let's finish by looking ahead to beyond the second round. I must say, answer when, you know, you talk to most people and they say, sure, Marine Le Pen is doing well in the polls, but, you know, she probably won't win, almost certainly won't win, which reminds me uh, of what people were saying before Trump was elected, that Hillary was certain to win of what people were saying before the Brexit referendum, that, you know, Remain would win even though the polls were tight. And in both those cases, that was not true. And both those things, Trump, Brexit, were huge political moments, kind of revolutions in the West. How much of a revolution would it be for France and for Europe if Le Pen won? It would be a massive moment, obviously. You know, the second largest economy in the Eurozone, electing a far-right president, clearly Eurosceptic, clearly against a lot of what the EU stands for, clearly willing to cause trouble in Brussels. So that would be a massive moment for France and Europe. Would she essentially be the European Trump or is that too facile? I don't know. She would try to seek alliances with probably the likes of Viktor Orban, who just won re-election. She would probably try to build anti-immigration alliances and try to reform the EU from the inside. That said, I think she is quite isolated the way Viktor Orban is also quite isolated in Europe at the moment, because Europe the European Union is quite different from what it was in 2017. Post-pandemic, and also because of the war in Ukraine, the European Union is much more united, has a greater sense of purpose, 
So I think she would be isolated on the economic front because there's this huge recovery package has been agreed. And so the paradigm of the European Union has shifted during the pandemic and it's you know, more geared towards expenditures, stimulus, and the sentiment towards Putin. She was clearly in awe of Putin, Vladimir Putin. This is quite an isolated position at the moment, given the war in Ukraine. Okay, and Bruno, to finish, I mean, obviously, as I say, most people still do expect Macron to win. He is still ahead in the polls in the head-to-head. Would a second Macron term be significantly different, do you think, from a first Macron term? Difficult to say. Macron told the French that the second mandate of Macron would be a change in the method, the method of governing and the method of reforming France. But I think that Macron has the same project as in the beginnings. He wants to modernize and he wants to modernize à la française. It's not going to be like a Thatcherite revolution. It's not at all that. It is actually to make the state and the public sector more efficient. The diagnostic five years ago was that actually the French social model that we are very attached to in France and that used to be very efficient to reduce inequalities was over. And that we were facing new inequalities with the new dynamics on the labor markets and that the French social model protects the ones that are already protected and do not protect the ones that are taking risks. And he wanted to change that. I think Macron still trusts on that. Uh, You know that you can do only two mandates as the French executive president. So the big question is to know if you can do just two mandates for the second mandate, what are you doing? Are you completely liberating your energy and your projects and making very, very structural reforms? Or on the contrary, do you want to get back France to more quiet times? A very important point is that France is in a state of permanent crisis since more than three years. We've got the yellow vest, we've got the pension reform system demonstrations, then we've got the COVID, then we have the Ukraine war, it's too much. The state and the mood of the population is with many fears, uncertainties, people have plenty of question marks, what happened to France? And I'm not sure that Macron can really make a very, very significant reform. He's probably going to do exactly the same as in the first mandate, but improving the governing style. At least he has announced that he would like to generalize concertation with the population, deliberation with the population. Let's hope that he will do it. That was Bruno Cotrez of Sciences Po in Paris, ending this edition of the Rachman Review. I was also talking to my FT colleague, Anne-Sylvain Chassigny. Thanks for joining us, and please join me again next week. Hello, I'm Ben Hall, Europe Editor, and I'll be hosting a webinar for FT subscribers on the French presidential election on Monday the 11th of April at 5pm London time. That's noon in New York. Joining me will be other FT journalists and guests to discuss the results of the first round of voting, prospects for the second round, and what's at stake for France and its place in the world. Get your free ticket for subscribers at ft.com slash France Votes. Hold up. 
Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.